So I'm not a political artist in any sense, but I'm definitely uh, trying to respond to the things that are important to me as a person. So if something's really important and it affects me as a human, then that sometimes has to be part of the show. Hi, and welcome to episode 93 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. I'm Maria Stolger, and today I'm bringing you my conversation with Belinda Fox, painter, printmaker, and sculptor. Her work is extraordinary, whether it's an intricate bird in watercolour, abstract geometric forms carved into plywood, or an almost six-metre panorama of refugees in a turbulent sea. She creates evocative grounds which are then overlaid with exquisite colour and line to produce works of great detail and beauty. She became a master printer when she was only in her 20s. She's won multiple art prizes, been awarded many grants and residencies which has seen her travel extensively, and she's exhibited in over 25 solo shows across the world. Her solo show with Gallery Smith in Melbourne opens in a few weeks in July 2020 and her next show after that opens in Berlin with Michael Reed in October. And this is on the back of her show in San Francisco with Maybaum Gallery and in Sydney she's been represented by Art House Gallery since 2003. Belinda lives in The Hague in the Netherlands and we recorded this episode by Zoom a few weeks ago in the height of the 2020 coronavirus lockdown. You might hear some background noise at times, which is children playing in the school playground near Belinda's studio. She grew up in the country town of Mildura in Victoria and was so intent on studying art at university that she skipped her last year of high school to start on her portfolio at TAFE. She did so well, she was offered three different university courses and had to decide which to choose. So I got into RMIT painting and RMIT um, sculpture, but I got into VCA printmaking and I was in this huge dilemma. I mean, I just loved everything, but I particularly thought I wanted to paint. Um, And so I got advice again off my teachers from TAFE and asked, what what do you think I should do? Because I have no idea. And they said, oh, you should go to VCA because that's just such a prestigious school. And and that decision ended up you taking that path, which was going to be yeah. such a huge path for you. Yeah, and it's everything to do with my work kind of hinges on printmaking, yet that one decision was made so arbitrary, you know. It was, <laughs> could have, the teacher could have said, yeah, go off and do something, you know, blah, 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 and I would have went, oh, okay, you know. <laughs> but it was it was such a good decision because it's only in hindsight it's a great decision because printmaking is such a discipline and there's like and I was so young and uh learning a craft and learning to follow something through and learning to be patient is what printmaking can teach you which is so valuable in so many other ways, you know, down the track. So you must have enjoyed that those three years um, doing that course. No, actually, it was really difficult. Oh, was it? I have very mi- yeah, I've really mixed feelings about my study. I had such a great experience at the TAFE in Mildura, um, and I was really nurtured and supported, and they were very positive teaching kind of strategies. And when I got to VCA, 
I think the very first week, you know, you get there, they basically have this lecture and say, you know, there's 200 of us all there, like, you know, way <laughs> young, bright things. I've just moved to the city. Um, and they're like, well, out of this whole lecture hall, maybe four of you will become artists, <laughs> you know, and the rest of you are all going to work in, you know, something else and you're never going to make it. Bam, you know, it's like reality check 101. And, you know, they, they were kind of right, but do you really need to know that on your first week of three years of study? I'm not really sure. But on the, in the, the last six months of my third year, everything started to click together and something amazing started to happen. I was making my art finally. So it worked. It, I got there, but I was so wrung out at the end of it and I felt so intimidated and not um, cool enough, you know, to be a real artist. I thought that all the pressure of art school can really get to you that way. Mm. That I left and thought, I'm not going to do art, that's it. Oh, really? Yeah, I was like, no, nah, I'm not cut out for this. I'm, I'm not, I'm not uh, yeah, I don't have it. Uh, so I left thinking that. Right. Well, so how did you end up at Port Jackson Press, which is a, it's a um, print publishing house in Melbourne? How did you end up working there? So what happened was I got, uh, I graduated and the work that I made, I was super happy with. So even though I felt that way, I, I really was proud of the work I'd made. And I really did come up with something that I think was interesting. Um, and when we had the graduate show, the current manager of Port Jackson Press, you know, went to the graduate show, looked at all the work, and she really loved my work. Um, so they somehow found my number and contacted me about, about it and said, hey, do you want to sell some of your work at, at Port Jackson Press? Uh, and as a side note, that person's like my best friend in the world now and she's also artist Melinda Sharwell. She was the manager there at the time and we became of course great friends over the course of this period and she and so I was, I was sort of starting to make work but really I was saving money to go overseas and and just have go away. So at that point you thought well I'm just going to go traveling and I'm not I'm not really thinking about being an artist. Yeah, it was. A, I remember it, it was an absolute distinct moment in that trip. We were in. Um, I was with my then boyfriend, but it's now my husband. Uh, we were in a this crazy boat in Laos on the Mekong River, and it was like this. It's a wild, crazy river, and we're on this ridiculous little rickety boat. And, you know, the woman next to me is holding her chickens and it was like full on, like real backpacker shit. And we're floating along this Mekong River going, what the hell are we doing? It was amazing, but wild. And I had just this moment where I thought about, I started thinking about my work. Like I haven't thought about any of my work properly the whole trip. We were away for five months. And all of a sudden I had this idea about my work and I'm like, oh, oh, this is what I should do when I get back. And it was like the first time I felt free and happy to have that thought 
of art. Again, that was nothing to do with school. It was nothing to do with any pressures of what I should be doing. It just was a pure thought for myself. Mm. And that was it. And then I worked, realised actually, yeah, I want to make art. And I came back and I did it. And that just got me rolling. And I was through Port Jackson Press. I mean, they really gave me this platform to develop my career but also you know I ended up working there and developing my skills as well. Mm. Well more than that I mean you became a master printer and I wanted to talk about that term (laughs) because I come Mm. across that term and I think what is this master printer thing everybody's talking about? Because from what I understand, it's not as if you get a qualification to become one. You just sort of, you know, ascend into this position of master printer. Can you tell me a bit about what, what that is? Yeah, how can you be a master printer at 24 or whatever the hell I was? Um, yeah, I think it gets bandied around pretty liberally. Don't take it too seriously, but... No, I mean, I worked super hard to develop my skills um, as a printer and, I, I, you know, I was the workshop manager by the end. I was training people. I was working with some pretty incredible artists um, and holding my own. So I guess in that sense I earned uh, a level of respect but, you know, Honestly, I was seriously out of my depth for most of, <laughs> most of that. This is on record, isn't it? No, I was one step ahead, if, even if that, with the artists that I worked with. And most of the time, you know, I was very much the philosophy of fake it till you make it. You obviously did make it in the end. I mean, I've read um, in, in the monograph, your monograph, that um, you would be doing work for John Olson and um, uh, Dorothy Napangadi, who I want to speak to, to you about a bit later on. But um, and it's interesting how, how most leading artists do end up uh, doing some printmaking with print uh, publishing houses like Port Jackson Press. What do you think it is about printmaking that attracts an artist? Um, I'm not sure. I think that there's something elemental about printmaking that artists get in terms of it, it's just a, it, it's quite a challenge. I think you often what you would find is artists would come into it thinking, oh, not really taking it that seriously at the beginning. They just wanted to make something new and and you're facilitating it, which is always a nice experience when you've got a team around you trying to help you make something new. But then what happens is you realise it's really fucking hard and actually there's a huge amount of work that goes into making something look so simple and graphic and interesting. And then it gets a bit under their skin um, it depends on the artist. I remember like Luke Scaberis, who you've had on the program, mm. was a really interesting artist who just had a very natural uh, connection with printmaking and I think, he's, I think he still makes prints. But even way back then when he was still finding his forms and his way, you could just see he had a, you know, some people just gravitate and they get it. And then others just absolutely struggle and you and you're, it's your job to try and help them find their way. 
How does that work? I mean, it's interesting because they talk about it as a collaboration between the printmaker and the artist. Um, how, how would you approach the artist when, in those days? Where say you had, you know, John Olson were pro, you know, wanted to do a print, um, which I presume was some, usually like something like an etching, say. I don't know. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing. You don't, you don't. You just. You just say. You just stand there and wait for John to tell you what he wants, and then you just do it. And he knows a hundred percent what he wants. He's an amazing person to work with. I mean, that was, you know, for a young artist, it was pretty incredible being around his energy and his, uh, the romance. You know. The romance of art is just exudes from him, like yeah. And he, and he was very clear about what he was wanting. So that was because he spent his whole lifetime printmaking. I mean, there was a huge amount of pressure for me. Mm-hmm. He's worked with all the best printmakers too. And what, what would I know? You know. So. Oh, so um, that would have been a different relationship, say, than a more junior sort of artist. Yeah, I think the the biggest. The biggest, uh, the most important part of your job is that you just are there for the artist. You have to, as a creative person yourself, you have to basically give all your tools to that person, but all your tools don't suit every person. So you have to choose the ones that make their work better. So you have to be willing to give up a lot for them. And and through... them you learn a lot too because you have to learn new ways to work that suits that artist that's a really fascinating experience but you have to be um you know open to that person's style and needs and you have to be very empathetic in that sense and ready to change tact quickly so it that's why it was a really fantastic job because it was always different, like working with John Olsen to working... Oh, I remember working with, um, with, with Josh Yeldham. That's how I met Ali at, with Art House is through Josh. Josh came and worked at Port Jackson Press. Oh, OK. And, and Josh wasn't familiar with printmaking at all and I was pretty young into that job, so I was still setting up the studio there properly for etching... And, and Josh and I spent weeks making huge mistakes. He was, he was finding his way. I kept stuffing everything up. And it was just this absolutely crazy, you know, couple of weeks of pure pain and agony, but, but, he, but searching too. It was real. We came up and we found something in the end that was pure pain <laughs> And love all at the same time. We've been fast friends ever since. Well, is that? But is that often a thing with printmaking that you there's there's always going to be sort of accidents and mistakes along the way, or it's, or it's a high likelihood anyway. Yeah, I mean that's what I love about it is all those accidents. But you know, some artists are not going to be pretty ha- happy about. Oh, by the way, sorry, <laughs> I really stuffed up that you know plate you just spent two weeks on. <laughs> so, yeah like David Lowell was great he was like one of the, my favorite artists to work with because he was just like so cruisy you know he was just whatever goes and he just loved you know people and 
and it was all very spontaneous. You just had to have things ready and anything that happened, you made something of. And yeah, it's like every artist that I worked with taught me so much for my own future. Um, it wasn't until I had that job that I really had a feeling that I could do this myself because, and the reason why is because everyone was different and I think it's at uni I had this idea of what an artist had to be and that's why I left thinking I, I can't be that, that's, that's not what I'm going to be. And then I went and worked at Port Jackson Press and I met this wide range of very successful artists to very young artists and everything in between, and everyone was doing it different. There was no one rule about it. And so then I thought, oh, I can see where I fit into this menagerie. It was really good. Yeah. And so what do you think was the sort of catalyst to actually decide I'm now going to become a full-time practising artist in my own right? Well, I think, you know, working as a, as a, pr- a master printer and the workshop manager at Port Jackson Press was a full-time job plus more. And then I was also getting some really good success with my own stuff, which I would have to do on the weekends or at night times mm. after I'd finished a full day working with someone else. Um, so, that, A, that was pretty exhausting creatively because you give so much through the day that there's not much left for yourself. So I was getting a little bit worn out from just the intensity of that. But I, I'm also a kind of person that doesn't do things by halves, so it's either all or nothing. And I was increasingly finding it too hard to do both at the best I could. So I had to sort of make a decision. Do I really want to go into this and maybe start my own press and do my, you know, like really go for it as a printer and knock it out the park? Or do I put that energy into my own work and I you know it's like I had to give up something I couldn't do it both uh so again I sought some advice from people and weighed it all up and I thought you know what I've got these skills I've got the skills to pay the bills with my printmaking I can always go back to it yeah it's there it doesn't go away but this is, a, I could see there was this opportunity with my art where I, was, I could really see that this is the time I need to go now or else I couldn't lo- miss that opportunity. Just because I had a few things going on that were good and, and it's like good to capitalise on it. So I thought, look, I've got nothing to lose. I'm also still young and, you know, I could fall flat on my ass and still pick myself up. Let's talk about painting now because um, it really is predominantly watercolour. Have you, have you ever tried acrylics or oils or gouache in your work or is it mainly watercolour that, that you use? Yeah, it is watercolour, but that's only because I spent... So the reason why I got into painting was when I was pregnant with Billy, my, my daughter, and printmaking is a pretty toxic uh, pursuit, especially because I don't like the water the water-based uh, uh, inks and stuff so increasingly I was like I've got to find a new way to work otherwise I'm going to be in trouble here when Billy's born so I spent that year 
uh, I was still, of course, making prints up until uh, three weeks before she was, two weeks before she was born. But she, um, but I was in the, the backgrounds also trying to, to learn how to paint. And so at first I went on to paper and was doing large-scale watercolour and acrylic on paper and drawing and collage and in the background I was trying really hard to get something happening on canvas like I was just trying everything and it just looked shit like total shit but it, I, I have a very strong uh, it's either works or it doesn't for me there's no in between and with painting if it gets too fussy I don't I find that it doesn't work for me. I mean, I love painting in all other ways for other people, but my own stuff. Um, I also really love ha uh, happy accidents or some sort of uncontrolled element to my to all my work, and the material kind of gives me a starting point. And I found with with a canvas or trying to paint with oils. I couldn't find that starting point where the material had already told me what to do. So what happens is with the watercolour, I stain the background and that almost tells me what has to happen next. It's like it's take, the decision-making almost is taken away. And if you think about it, printmaking is very similar in terms of there's all these things that happen in the process that change it without me doing that deliberately so it's just the way I work and so what happened was a friend of mine again it was Melinda from um, Port Jackson Press days she told me she was living in America at the time she said oh have you tried using clayboard I'd never heard of it she goes oh, I think you might like it and so I bought some and that was like a, as, as close as I could get to what was happening in the paper. And I was able to create those moments where there was this predetermined natural thing that could happen that then I could respond to. And is clayboard actually made of clay? Is that what it's made of? It's like a clay-based gesso. So it's just a masonite board. And they and you buy it pre-made, and it's just a certain surface, uh, gesso surface that is manufactured over in Texas in America, and it's a very smooth surface. It's it's very strange, like it's not the sort of thing you usually would put a watercolor on. It doesn't soak in at all. It sits on the surface almost like yeah. So it's the opposite to paper. So it was kind of like this strange thing where it was, I felt I could, I felt I understood it through paper, but it was very different to paper when you work on it. Mm. But it was enough of a bridge to kind of go down that path. And what I loved about it was you didn't have to frame it behind glass because that was always my real... So there was a few things where I really needed to break out of printmaking, which was the press is a certain size, so there was always that limitation, which is why I do a lot of panelled work, if you think about it. Um, but also um, you had to frame things behind glass, which I found very restrictive 
to the textual things that I was trying to work with. So Clayboard just kind of happened through a necessity of trying to find a new way to work through those limitations, but also that wasn't hazardous for being pregnant or having a little baby in the house. And, you know, look, I wouldn't put it past going back to Canvas now after more time. I'm, I'm always trying new things. In, in fact, I've just started making some work on Canvas, but what I've done is I've adhered paper printmaking onto the canvas <laughs> and now I'm painting on top of that. Oh, well, so. that's, a, that's a good... Actually, that is a good way of doing it, though. That's really interesting what you were saying because I think this is a big part of your work as well is that uh, the ground of the painting is incredibly interesting. Is it is it like a wash that you've um, started off with? Yeah, it's usually ink and it's various types of tea. Tea? Yeah, like the, you know, some of the work from the Art House show last year was using hibiscus tea, which gives you this incredible red, wild, bruise-type colours. And, um, yeah, I've used all sorts of things. It's about creating a, a starting point that I didn't control. I mean, you are controlling it, but only to a point. Mm. And, then, and then what happens is I usually make a few, maybe two or three, in one day and then when they're dry I sand them back and then I decide what 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 does this want to be well that's really interesting because probably a good point to talk about your work in more detail because and I think the most distinctive thing about it is probably best described by the title of your upcoming show with the gallery smith which is called fragmented and that is such a good place to start because even though um, your work ranges from representational work to more abstract work, usually those shapes are broken down into fragments with negative spaces around those fragments, which is incredibly appealing. And each within each of those fragments, there's a beautiful watercolour um, treatment for those spaces. Um, is that a fairly intuitive sort of way that you would approach that or would you have a careful composition with that sort of thing? No, usually it's pretty intuitive. Like I'll have an idea of what I want to do. Um, often I'll have about four paintings in my head that I know are going to come up, are coming. Um, but it's so vague. It's just an idea of one thing and then and then the rest of it is just getting uh, the skele- a skeleton of the, of the idea and the rest is just purely, you know, uh, working with what you've got in front of you to see where it ends up. And uh, adding things as I go sometimes, or, or often it's about what's next to the painting too, is just as important as the one you're working on. So I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm quite, um, particular about each show, like each show is a story that you're telling that unfolds over the course of the paintings. There's no, I don't just make work. I never make just one piece. Like that never happens to me. It's like that. There's that they all are interconnected. It's kind of a problem, really. Cause <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that. Will that develop, say you start off with one work, is that going to develop, the theme of that show is going to develop slowly out of your initial 
works. Yeah, I think I think often the uh, piece from the show before is something that feeds in is like something I go, oh, I want to take that into something new, or or as an idea in that that I want to pursue that that feeds into the next show. And then, yeah, it'll be one idea that, but it, I'm already thinking holistically before I've even begun. So, for example, there's the Berlin show that I haven't, I've just started literally the other day, but I already know it's going to be called Added Up. And I've already got an idea of, of the big picture. I just don't know what's the, what all the little pictures are. I just know I have a feeling for the space and how you would walk through it the audience's experience is is sort of comes before I've made the work. With this show that's coming up, up at Gallery Smith, I think you started it in November last year. And so the months over which you've been doing, you know, preparing for this show have been coincided with some of the hugest world events that we've seen in years. Yeah. You know? I mean, I haven't mentioned this. I will I'll put this in the introduction, actually, but obviously you are not in Australia. You live in The Hague in the Netherlands. What's, it, what's lockdown been like over, the, over your way? Well, it's strange. We, I mean, we, we were in lockdown fully for about two months um, and it's, things are starting to open up again now. But you could still go for a run or a walk you could still go to the supermarket. It wasn't as restrictive as it can be in other parts of Europe. Mm. But it was still pretty intense. And, of course, what happened was my daughter couldn't go to school anymore, had to do homeschooling, and it was quite hard to get to the studio there for a while as well. Um, so it, it had a major effect. But also you're probably noticing I'm a fairly organised person. So <laughs> <laughs> organised people and chaos global chaos it doesn't particularly go very well so <laughs> I think with the first three weeks I just was seriously like you know what the f is going on like how you know it was just a mind blow and I had to really really mentally get over that uh, and let go of everything and I was really stressed. It was hard. Mm. But also I get a lot of uh, calm and pleasure and centeredness from working. I'm a real workaholic, uh, but in a, in a way that's good for me. Like it, so when I couldn't go to the studio, you know, that's, that just it sends me a bit crazy. So it was a challenge at first, but um, I kind of found my way eventually and and Billy and I found a way of doing homeschooling and not kill each other and you know (laughs) sort of slowly (laughs) when I was getting better and then some and then we kind of got to a point where she could actually come into the studio and do her school while here and actually that was really good because she was getting out of the house a bit too um, because we live in just a small apartment so it's kind of a bit cabin feverish so we could get out here and she could do some art stuff as well here and I was able to get a little bit of work done or at least feel like I was in my space that I love and I think well what happened was that just slowly my brain started working again and the the whir of the world quietened a, a little bit 
And I realised I just had to change the show. So I was fighting against something I thought was happening with the show and actually it can't happen this way anymore. Otherwise, I, I'm not going to get a show done. And I had to also acknowledge it should be about this period rather than fighting against it, pretending it's not happening. So once I got to that point, I, I knew I all of a sudden knew what I needed to do. So I set myself a little task, which was I decided I'm just going to do small work and I have to do one piece every day that I get into the studio. So, of course, I can't always go into the studio, but whenever I can come in, I had to make one piece. It was like a set time. It was like a time limit. It was like a little project. <laughs> I, I just changed my whole tact and was like, this is a fragment of time. This is the time you've got. What are you going to do with this moment? And how are you going to do the best you can in this one particular moment? And that was the task. And once I, just, once I made myself that project, it all started flowing again and it worked. And actually it was great because something new has come from this show now. So instead of me despairing and I was really worried, oh, this is just going to be a show where I, whatever I can get done, I'll put in. And, you know, all that curation, all those that thought that I put into my storytelling just had to go out the window and that's why I was freaking out. But... Um, once I, once I came up with this idea, then, of course, I could start thinking again the way I like to, which is how does this tell a story? It's just a different story now. Yeah. Well, actually, it's interesting so, about yeah, talking about telling a story because um, something that, you know, uh, you, you're well known for is, is addressing social issues in your work. And, you know, from the plight of refugees to environmental degradation, um, is that important to you that there is a um, addressing of these sorts of issues in your work? Uh, yeah, yes, but it depends on on the work. It depends on the show. Depends on the idea. So I'm not a political artist in any sense, but I'm definitely trying to respond to the things that uh, are important to me as a person. Mm. So if something's really important and I really want to, and it affects me as a human, then that it sometimes has to be part of the show. It has to be like in um, 2017, I did a big project with um, Neville French, who's a longtime collaborator. Um, we got invited to do this show with at Manly, our, our museum. And we could have done whatever we want. They just gave us this great platform. And that was during the height of the, um, the refugee crisis over here in Europe. And it was just, it affected me very deeply. It was very troubling. So I really wanted to do a show about that. And then so I asked Neville if he was interested in doing that with me. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And so that was... Yeah, it, it just depends on the moment in time. Yeah, that was an amazing show. And I think in that show you did, I think one of the works was nearly six metres long and um, Neville's beautiful ceramics were just so powerful. Do you find that, in the, like, when you do venture to these sort of issues, do you have to feel like then you have to talk about it? Is that a stress? Is that a pressure to talk to talk about the issues as well? No, I mean, it's it's a problem with being an artist and um, in general is that that's why you make art because you're really bad at 
talking or <laughs> writing or anything else. Like this is how you express yourself. So it's always a quandary. I mean, even doing things like this is is really nerve-wracking because that's not your strength. Your yeah. strength hopefully is in the work um, that you paint. But, I mean, I was happy to, to talk about that because that was the partly the point was there was so much... Uh, misinformation and divide about refugees and I was you know really appalled I mean I'm still appalled by our situation in Australia at Manus Island I mean it was just seriously like it, it deeply troubles me and so I wanted to talk about that because I'm angry about that mm. and I just didn't know what it took for our, our compassion to have some um clarity and common sense like it just seemed so cruel and it is cruel and so yeah I was happy to talk about that so I think I think with the political stuff it just depends like it really is uh, I didn't it's exhausting it's really exhausting to take that hit that heaviness into your work and sometimes that can be pretty hard to do like it was hard to do those works they were not easy artworks to make um and I wouldn't I don't think I could do that type of work all the time but I also think if you do it all the time it loses its gravitas you know it loses its power because oh that person just you know is doing this you know political work all the time I mean it's I'm just like a human being and life is complex and Sometimes it's just about a beautiful landscape or a great moment in the day and sometimes it's about crazy political stuff that you can't stand. I suspect a lot of people from time to time, especially artists, they have ideas and it comes and goes sort of a thing. Do you find that if you have an idea you try and you, you try and act on it? Would you note it down or...? Ha- Not usually. Usually an idea, if an idea is strong enough, it keeps persisting until I have to do something about it. There's definitely ideas that I have that are just too ambitious. You know, they're just ridiculous. So th- <laughs> those ones <laughs> keep getting put into the too hard basket. Um, you know, I really would love to do more museum-type shows in the future because I do have bigger ambitions and ideas that you need that type of space to uh, to fill and because I am this person that works with spaces I can't just make it in my studio and wait for it to become something I just it's like something about the way my brain works it has to be the space that I inhabit rather than the work inhabits the space some galleries that I've worked with in the past they will say, when you've got a show together, we'll then set the, the date. And I'd be like, but I, I, no, we've got to set the date and then I'll make the show. And they're like, yeah, but I don't know what you're going to give me. So, you know, that's, that's where the problem lies. So, you know, I've developed really good relationships over the years with galleries that are, understand that I'm not going to let them down and I'm going to do a great show. And, it's yeah, it is very bespoke for that space, but... It is, there's definitely positives and negatives to the way I work, but it it is just the way my brain functions, I think. I accept it now. 
And um, also, tell me a bit about um, your, you know, your studio life. Do you find it easy to to get started when you enter the studio? Do you have any problems with procrastination or anything like that? Not really. Not since having um, Billy. Uh, God, it's amazing how much work you get done once you have kids. Like you just <laughs> seriously, it's like the volume knob gets turned up. I never knew I could work so hard. Um, no, I'm really disciplined. So I, 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 if I have any, well, it doesn't mean it's always easy. You know, you go through stages where things are really difficult. Um, I'm kind of learning to understand that that's part of the process. There's this part of the process which is very difficult uh, with working where you just have to write it out and the, 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 the way to get through that is you still turn up and you just if you're sitting there the whole day in your studio not doing anything, you've you still got to be there and you've got to wait. That doesn't happen to me very often, but um, when it does, it's very painful and it's, I think it's like this emptying out that happens. You have to, uh, it's like you unravel yourself. You feel like shit. You feel like you can't make it, your your work's hopeless and useless and what are you doing? Um, But that this unraveling needs to happen in order to grow perhaps and to rebuild. So those parts are, t- are difficult, but I still turn up. Just wondering if you had any advice for artists who might be looking to sort of, you know, advance their careers, they're sort of at the early, at the foothills. Uh, what well, if you were, if you could give them a, some advice or, you know, something you wish you knew when you were starting off, well, the first thing I would say is um, don't be afraid to try. Th- you know, you, you should really put yourself out there. I think actually there's huge opportunities when you're an emerging artist to go for things like grants, competitions, mm. um, uh, residencies. All those things actually are much easier to do when you're young and you before you've um, maybe had a family before you're too well established because you have less commitments, you can be more flexible. Um, and also, the, you know, the more successful hopefully you get, the more expensive your works get. So it's also harder to get into uh, collections and those sorts of things because that gallery has to spend a whole heap more money on your work. So you can really develop your CV at that stage. Also, when you go for funding, you don't need as much funding because, you know, it's like you can see what I mean. That's interesting. I never thought of it like that. Well, it's good because um, as you get to be more mid-career, it's it's like it's. I think it's much more difficult to make those kinds of inroads. You can do things in different ways. And I think the other thing by going in those, going for those things like grants and competitions and residencies is you learn to get rejection because for every one you might get, there'll be a hundred that you didn't. And you have to learn to be rejected a lot in the arts and not take it personally. And if you can develop that thick skin when you're young, then it, it just it's fine. It's you, you kind of get used to it. But there's a lot of people I know 
who never developed it when they were younger and it really limits you so much with that fear of someone saying no to you it's such a it's such an inhibitor so like I said you know there's there's no harm in trying something because all that anyone could say is no or or no you didn't get into that you know you just keep trying that is such good advice yeah well, Belinda, thank you so much for our, for that conversation. I really enjoyed it. Good luck with your show at Gallery Smith. And um, I'm looking forward to meeting you in person when you're next in Sydney. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It was good. What a great artist. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Belinda Fox. I'll be putting a short video on my YouTube channel of Belinda in her studio, so watch out for that. You can also follow the show on social media, on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. And there'll be a bit of a longer break before the next episode as I'm catching up on um, editing a few videos. But I'll be back in a few weeks with another episode of one of our great Australian painters. So thanks for joining me today and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters. The amazing things that have happened for me in my life is because I did, wasn't afraid to ask the question. And if it didn't happen, then it didn't matter. And as long as you try your, your best, and your best is the absolute best you can do, then I always am able to walk away and go, well, that didn't quite hit the mark, but I definitely tried my best. I can't, couldn't have done it any better.